we're back to Subject to Cross. Take it away, Pete. It's been a while, hasn't it? It has. Well, it's been since last year. So today I'm supposed to lead the discussion? Yes, but before you do, I forgot to say something very important last year. And Melissa's writing something for me. Hold on. Sierra, you might have to... uh, Don't forget the outro. Yes, we're going to do an outro today, specifically to talk about our new music. I don't know what an outro is. An outro is, instead of you just saying, bye, we're going to say thank you for listening to Subject to Cross. We'll see you next time. Our music was made and produced and offered by friend of the pod, Nick Harshaw. Great. Yeah. Thank you, Nick. I did get feedback agreeing with my assessment of the prior music that it was terrible. You know what? I've had mixed reviews. Really? You complained, and I think that prompted it, you know, some audience outrage. Um, Nick's mu- music is definitely better, but agreed. Some some people say they started to get used to the old stuff. It was terrible. Thank you, Nick Harshaw. Yes, thanks, Nick. All right, so today we are going to speak about a specific case, and this caught my interest because I still do read the newspaper. I also subscribe to. Uh, what is it, New Yorker magazine, which gives me high anxiety because they come every week and I can't keep up. I mean, they're like novels, you know what I mean? And it's, it's you get great. the mag, You get a physical the magazine? New Yorker magazine. You're wasting so much paper. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's great, you know, literature, uh, and I want to support stuff like that. But isn't it online? Can't you pay to get it online? So I you're don't not- read things online. I mean, you know, like the Inquirer's online, I don't read it online. But in any event, this is um, the Inquirer, and this is from February 2020. I thought I'd start by just reading the article because it's not too long, um, and then we'll talk about uh, the implications of this case. Okay. Shall we? Go on. Okay. We shall. Ex-Philadelphia cop freed after years without charges in child porn probe. A former Philadelphia police sergeant has been released after spending nearly five years in federal detention for failing to unlock encrypted hard drives on which investigators believed he was storing child pornography. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit ruled two to one Thursday that federal law allows the government to hold someone for no longer than 18 months for civil contempt. The appeals court directed that Francis Rawls be set free. Rawls had been in federal custody since September 2015 because investigators say he refused to hand over passwords to decrypt a pair of external hard drives they seized during a search of his home. Rawls has maintained that he does not know the passwords, according to his lawyer, Keith M. Donahue, with the Philadelphia-based Federal Community Defender Office. The former sergeant's case had attracted national attention from prosecutors, defense attorneys, and advocates, including the Electronic Frontier Foundation, for its potential ramifications on fundamental concepts including privacy, self-incrimination, and unreasonable search and seizure. Donahue said Rawls was released Thursday night and faces the challenge of rebuilding his life outside jail. He was fired in 2015 after 17 years with the city police force. It's a daunting prospect, Donahue said. A spokesperson spokesperson 
for U.S. Attorney William McSwain's office asked if prosecutors intended to appeal the decision or whether Rawls might face criminal charges, said only that they are reviewing their options. A federal district judge ordered in 2015 that Rawls be held in jail indefinitely, and Rawls had lost an earlier appeal in which the Third Circuit ruled that he could be compelled to unlock the devices because investigators had amassed enough evidence, even without the passwords, to prove that the encrypted files were illegally pornographic or illegal pornographic material. In its 2017 opinion, the court sidestepped the question of whether forcing him to do so violated Rawls' Fifth Amendment rights against self-incrimination. In its ruling Thursday, a different three-judge Third Circuit panel addressed a new question, whether Rawls's continued incarceration for contempt violated federal laws capping at 18 months the amount of time witnesses could be jailed for refusing to testify. The government argued those limits did not apply to Rawls and disputed characterizing him as a, quote, witness, end quote. He had simply been ordered, first by a search warrant, then by a series of courts, to provide access to his unencrypted hard drives, not provide testimony or new evidence against himself, prosecutors said. The appellate panel disagreed. Rawls maintains a dual identity. Rawls is a witness for purposes of contempt, while a suspect for child pornography offenses, Judge Julio M. Fuentes wrote for the majority. We find that federal law caps Rawls' detention for committing civil contempt in his capacity as a material witness at 18 months. Judge Jane Richards Roth wrote in a dissent that the 18-month limit should not apply to Rawls because he is not a witness, but rather someone who has not complied with a lawful search warrant. Quote, if Rawls should contend that he has forgotten his passwords, he is free to file a motion with the district court seeking his release on the ground that his confinement has ceased to be coercive and has therefore become punitive, Roth, end quote, Roth wrote. In a previous court filing, Rawls's lawyers wrote that during a district court hearing, a detective testified it was his, quote, best guess, end quote, that child pornography would be found on the hard drives. They also said Rawls remained jailed rather than waiving his right against self-incrimination by testifying to his inability to comply with the decryption order. The case against Rawls began in March 2015 when detectives with the Delaware County District Attorney's Office identified him as a suspect in an investigation of a website called Freenet, a site that allegedly allowed users to share child pornography. Investigators said data showed that devices owned by Rawls, referred to as John Doe in court documents, had been routing or requesting such files. Authorities seized electronic devices from Rawls's home, including an Apple Mac Pro computer, on which they found one image depicting a pubescent girl in a sexually suggestive position, and logs that suggested he had visited groups with titles common in child exploitation. But they were unable to lock the hard drives, which also were encrypted. The labeling of some files caused investigators to believe that the hard drives contained child pornography, and Rawls's sister reported he once accessed the drives in her presence, revealing that they contained hundreds of illicit videos and photos. So that's from the Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, February 8th, uh, 2020. If you could, can you distill it down to a sentence or two about what's going on? 
Why did I bore you? Well, it's just a little long-winded, <coughs> especially for you. <laughs> well, you're making me lead. Um, okay. Well, I didn't think it was that long of an article. But basically, the government uh, wanted this guy who was a suspect in a, a federal child pornography case and the implications of child pornography in federal court uh, are extreme. We're Mandatory minimum. years of, and above. Yeah. Um, and basically, they couldn't get to where they believed, excuse me for one second, <clears throat> they couldn't get to where they believed the child pornography was, and they wanted him to, to open the door. Mm-hmm. I got a problem with that. So what's your problem? My problem is that he has a Fifth Amendment privilege, and his Fifth Amendment privilege is not to incriminate himself. And I don't care what mental gymnastics uh, courts, in this case federal courts, uh, engage in to work around the Fifth Amendment, you're never going to convince me that asking someone to open the door, that's what this is, you know, to open a door that they don't have a key to, uh, to provide the key, uh, isn't incriminating himself. It incriminates himself in multiple ways. So there's, a, there's two main issues in this case. The first is whether or not he can be held in contempt as a witness for failing to abide by a court order, right? Correct. And the court order was pursuant to a search warrant that he would have to decrypt his own computer, his own hard drive. Well, yeah, they're hard drives. They're not the computer. They're external hard drives. The external hard drives. <clears throat> and the government, the U.S. government, is saying that for purposes of this case, because he is the target of an investigation, he is not a witness governed by the statute that he's held in contempt by, right? The statute holding that for 18 months, it's, there's a statutory max of 18 months that you can hold someone in prison for failing to abide by a court order. The government's saying he's not a witness pursuant to that statute. He's a target of a criminal investigation. Partially right. Okay. Not, his, his status as a target is irrelevant. What they're saying is that he's not a witness, that he's somebody impeding a lawful search warrant, and they proceeded under some law called a writs of the court or something. Um, but basically what they're saying is he's impeding a search warrant, and the, the judge that dissented uh, bought that argument. Uh, two judges did not. But he's impeding as the criminal defendant. Well, yeah, but I don't think his status as a criminal defendant necessarily is is the issue. The issue is that there's a search warrant and he's not complying with the search warrant. But it is the issue because as the criminal defendant, he's invoking his Fifth Amendment right to not abide by the court order. To well, that's from his perspective. You asked me what their perspective was. I, I agree that he should be afforded Fifth Amendment uh, protections. Uh, the, the, the opinion, which I can talk about, and I have in quotes, I think we talked about this in the context of the, the Cosby cases, hard cases make bad law. This is hard cases make bad law, volume two. Um, the opinion from 2017, that is the opinion that, um, you know, initially predicated him staying in jail for contempt and, and sidestepped, frankly, the Fifth Amendment issue. Um, they didn't directly address it. Um, they alluded to it, but they didn't address it. But I want to talk about that opinion, and I'll try not to be long-winded. Um, 
So let's start with the, the concept that the Fifth Amendment is a, prohibit, a prohibition against providing self-incriminating information. What they concentrated on was the concept of testimony. Um, I want to read uh, from one portion of that opinion, which was issued in 2017, um, March of 2017. So the guy was in jail then, and he was in jail until uh, a week or so ago. <clears throat> on August 27, 2015, the magistrate judge denied Doe's motion, they were still calling him Doe at the time, to quash and directed him to fully comply with the decryption order. The magistrate judge acknowledged Doe's Fifth Amendment objection, but held that because the government possessed Doe's devices and knew their contents included child pornography, the act of decrypting the devices would not be testimonial for purposes of the Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination. I'll use a Caroline Donato term. Let's mm. unpack that. <laughs> um, first of all, <clears throat> if they knew the contents contained child pornography, what are we arguing about? Prosecute them. You know, it, there, there was other evidence that, geez, his own sister saw allegedly that he possessed pornography. Um, they have one image that apparently they believe qualifies as pornography. They have ample circumstantial evidence through their expert witnesses to establish that, you know, the hash values of these files, which they can um, match to known child pornography, were on these um, hard drives. They were executed at a search warrant at a place where he controlled. Um, they, it seems to me they have evidence that they would be able to offer in court that he acknowledged they were his um, hard drives. Um, so prosecute them. Mm -hmm. If you can't get the, the, the information, they'd also probably get an, I don't know about that, but they could try to get an instruction about the fact that he wouldn't give them the, the passwords. You know, then you get into the whole Fifth Amendment issue again. Um, well, didn't he say that he didn't know the passwords? He conveniently <laughs> um, remembered passwords for everything that, that didn't contain pornography. There were some questionable pictures of a niece, I think. But then when it got to these hard drives, where it's pretty clear, um, circumstantially, that that uh, you know that they the child pornography was on there. And he said, I don't, I don't remember the passwords to these ones. They convened a grand jury on this, right? Uh, I don't know. Were they trying to and compile the evidence to put forth? Know, it was a search warrant, so I don't. You know, I'm I'm not quite sure that it got that. I think they were they were just at the at the point of a search warrant. He didn't comply with the search warrant, and you know maybe I, I, I it's unclear to me whether the sister just gave a statement or whether she testified before a grand jury. He was not indicted, however. Well, and that's what I found interesting from the article where he said the detectives um, or the the FBI agents. Best guess. Yeah. I think you said best guess. <laughs> child porn. Language the prosecutors didn't appreciate. Yeah, child porn was on the hard drives. Well, does a best guess constitute probable cause for the search warrant in the first place? I wonder if they ever challenged I would that. imagine there was other testimony that was a little stronger than that. Um, but it is uh, inconsistent with the court finding that the, com that, the, that the government knew, quote unquote, knew that there was pornography on there. Um, this is another part of that 2017 Give me the opinion, page. Uh, page 14, that I wanted to, to read about the Fifth Amendment. Mm -hmm. Excuse my froggy voice. She didn't bring water for me. <clears throat> <laughs> 
The Fifth Amendment states <laughs> that no person shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself. And that's a citation to the United States uh, Constitution, uh, Fifth Amendment. The Fifth Amendment, however, does not independently proscribe the compelled production of every sort of incriminating evidence, but applies only when the accused is compelled to make a testimonial communication that is incriminating. And there are citations to cases. And it, what the cases hold is that to be testimonial, a communication must either, quote, explicitly or implicitly relate a factual assertion or disclose information, period, end quote. How is this not disclosing information, Caroline? How is it not disclosing information to give somebody a password? You are acknowledging that you created the password. You're acknowledging that you had access to the pornography on those hard drives. You're acknowledging that you possess pornography. That's information. Mm -hmm. The Supreme Court also, so you were citing to that Fisher v. United States case. And Doe. And Doe v. United States. Uh, the Supreme Court has also recognized that the production of evidence can implicate Fifth Amendment um, concerns or can implicate the Fifth Amendment. So that's exactly what you're saying. If he provides the password, he produces the evidence of potential child pornography, which it's the FBI agent's best guess. It's, it's there. That's an act of self-incrimination. I'd be curious to know. I don't, I don't know much about computers. I'd be curious to to learn more about the forensics behind this, why they couldn't get a forensic computer scientist or whomever it would be, whatever expert it would you be. You don't expect me to answer that question. No, but did that not cross your mind? Why do you need this guy? Why can't you put this before an expert and see if they can? They couldn't break the encryption. They couldn't. If Russia can hack us, mm -hmm. why can't? They couldn't do it. Um, so <clears throat> clearly this is information uh, that I think even the, the, the court, the, the magistrate judge found, well, I don't know if the magistrate judge found it, but the appellate court of the Third Circuit does seem to indicate that they understand that this was disclosing information which would be covered by the Fifth Amendment. So what do they do? And this is what we as, um, as, as people who represent criminal defendants, criminal defense attorneys, encounter all the time. That is judicially crafted workarounds uh, of, the, uh, of, of our client's constitutional rights. So <laughs> this, this is the workaround. In Fisher, however, the court also articulated the, quote, foregone conclusion, end quote, rule, which acts as an exception to the otherwise applicable act of production doctrine. Under this rule, the Fifth Amendment does not protect an act of production when any potentially testimonial component of the act of production, such as the existence, custody, and authenticity of evidence, is a, quote, foregone conclusion, end quote, that, quote, adds little or nothing to the sum total of the government's information, end quote. For the rule to apply, the government must be able to, quote, describe with reasonable particularity, end quote, the documents or evidence it seeks to compel. Is that how you read to your children at night? I used to. With that kind of modulation? Why is it bad? In Fisher. No. Uh, <laughs> um, in, well, I think it's sarcasm. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so what does that mean? Um, basically, um, it, it means that if the government can offer enough evidence to the court to 
convince the court that that they are. We, we already know this. We already know this. We just want uh, him to provide it. Well, first of all, that try to figure that out. It, that that's an oxymoron. And in this case, even the the Third Circuit couldn't uh, 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 identify exactly what the information that um, was a foregone conclusion. In other words, what was the subject? What 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 is the what is the factual predicate for the for the foregone conclusion? And I, I promise I'll stop reading soon. But this is a footnote that gave me headaches. It is important to note that we are not concluding that the government's knowledge of the content of the devices is necessarily the correct focus of the foregone conclusion inquiry in the context of a compelled decryption order. Let me read that again. It is important to note that we are not concluding that the government's knowledge of the content of the devices is necessarily the correct focus of the foregone conclusion inquiry. Then what is the correct focus? Instead, a very sound argument can be made that the foregone conclusion doctrine properly focuses on whether the government already knows the testimony that is implicit in the act of production. In this case, the fact known to the government that is implicit in the act of providing the password for the devices is, quote, I, John Doe, know the password to these devices. Um, because the testimony presented at the contempt proceeding, that fact is a for based on the testimony presented at the contempt proceeding, that fact, the fact that he knows the password to the devices, is a foregone conclusion. However, because our review is limited to plain error, this is where they punt, and no plain error was committed by the district court in finding that the government established that the contents of the encrypted hard drives are known to it, we need not decide here that the inquiry can be limited to the question of whether Doe's knowledge of the password itself is sufficient to support application of the foregone conclusion doctrine. So since you lost me, yeah. bring everybody back. Yeah, basically, what they're saying is, what's the foregone conclusion? What is he being compelled to testify? What foregone con conclusion is he That being he possesses child pornography. No. They're saying that the inquiry probably is just that he knows the password, not that he possesses uh, child but pornography. But if he knows the password, he possesses well, child pornography. exactly. It's pretzel logic. And all of this implicates the Fifth Amendment. And what really kind of, I won't, infuriates is a strong word, but what really... Um, uh, aggravates aggravates me is that when they say you know the uh, the based upon the testimony pre presented at the contempt proceedings the fact is a foregone conclusion it's because he couldn't testify remember in this article what his lawyer said this is very important his lawyer said Rawls remained jailed, quote, rather than waiving his right against self-incrimination by testifying to his inability to comply with the decryption order. So it's a catch-22 for this guy. Yeah, okay, you didn't testify at the contempt proceeding, so it's a foregone conclusion that you know uh, the, the, the password. It's no way in heck a foregone conclusion. Yeah, we can all believe that he knows the password, um, but at the end of the day, how do you get around the fact that he is basically giving them a key to information that is going to put him in jail for a decade or more? Well, and it just goes to show that they want their case to be 100% solid. That reasonable doubt aspect scares them. They have the sister. One part that you, I don't think you mentioned is that his sister told the government that she was shown this child pornography in these 
in these encrypted hard drives. You didn't listen to me, did you? Did well, you? I listened to the article, but yeah, it's it was really long-winded. It was in the article, and I've already mentioned it. I think at some it. point, I, you know, I took a drink of water, and I just yeah, got a little water in there? That is water now. Right. I finished my coffee. Um, I just disagree with you on something, though. I think that... Shocking. Two, yeah. I think the two points of this opinion, the... Holding him in contempt, and this, the statute is, it's a federal statute, Title 28, USC, United States Code, Section 1826. Holding him in contempt as a witness who fails to comply with a court order by virtue of him not providing those that, te- that testimony or those passwords, I think is entwined with the second issue of his Fifth Amendment privilege. I think the government in this case wants to have its cake and eat it too. They argue he's not a witness under 1826. So that statutory maximum, being able to hold someone in prison for failing to comply with the court order for 18 months, doesn't apply. But that the Fifth Amendment uh, self-incrimination doesn't apply because of that foregone foregone conclusion rule. It's one or the other. Hmm. Oh, maybe he should have had you making these arguments. I, I don't disagree with you. You would ask me what the government's position was and their position. Well, that was the government's well, position. Their position was that his standing as a criminal defendant, it wasn't the focus. The focus was we have a search warrant and this person could not be a defendant. It could be, you know, under this theory, it could be his wife. Well, that's why I'm saying it's one or the other. If that's their theory, then 1826 does apply. There's an 18-month statutory max, which the Third Circuit held, does apply, which is why he's out now. But, I mean, it took way too long to get to that point. If I'm him, you know, I did five instead of ten if they don't prosecute him. But you're right. I mean, you know, it, we <laughs> what we see in, 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 you know, in our practice, which is primarily state court, is they would just prosecute him on this evidence. And, and a jury, listen, juries don't like child pornography defendants. They're tough cases. Um, and, um, you know, they would try him on this. There's ample evidence to try him. Well, that, they just want him served on a silver platter, and they want him to do the serving. Right. Um, so he, he was in prison for five. Um, I thought the the mandatory minimum was 15 years on child pornography. Maybe it is. Um, the other issue is, uh, um, you, you know, the, the question that I have is whether he now has a 1983 action against them for keeping him in prison for three and a half years more than a statute. That would take some chutzpah on his part. That's, you know, a violation of his civil rights. No, thank you. Um, Yeah, right. If I were him, I would just go, you know, disappear somewhere. Um, Those are tough cases to bring. Yeah, one other other, uh, uh, point here. In the dissent to the 2020 opinion, this, again, not to... In the Third Circuit. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm on my soapbox. But appellate courts, any courts really, you know, so they have this exception that's carved out, this foregone conclusion exception that they can get around the Fifth Amendment when they're trying to incriminate It's like somebody. the inevitable discovery rule. Exactly. Um, well, then in, in this 2020 opinion, this is the, the lead of the dissent, Judge Roth, <clears throat> where, you know, she's, she's disagreeing with the fact that, that they're releasing him for civil contempt. Because I do not agree with the reasoning, I'm doing it again, aren't I, <laughs> of the majority or of the occurrence. This I is res- how she sounds. I respectfully <laughs> dissent. My dissent is based on my belief that Section 1826A should be held to cover the situations expressly stated therein. 
quote, any proceeding before or ancillary to any court or grand jury of the United States, end quote. In this case, there is no such proceeding, at least not so far. For that reason, I believe that we should not stretch a statute to cover a situation that is not included in the language of the statute. Oh, my. So here we're going to be strict constructionists <laughs> to keep the guy in jail as opposed to working on some legal fiction of the foregone conclusion. That, to me, is extremely um, – is it illustrative? Is that the word? Wow. It's I'm flowery. From, I'm from Delco. He used to say illustrative. But illustrative um, of what we face in terms of, of the way that courts um, craft – um, exceptions, and it wasn't these judges, and they were just using what's already been uh, what's already been uh, um, made. Um, you know, the, these workarounds for for uh, prosecutors. So um, we agree that the recourse was to prosecute them on the evidence that they had, or not until they broke the codes, right, Caroline? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also think it would be a mighty fun case to defend if they try to prosecute on the evidence that they had because then what you're doing, and maybe this is a little tangential, but I was just thinking about it, what you're doing is challenging the credibility of the sister. You know, you saw this child pornography when, and what did you do? Did you report it? No? Hmm, interesting. And you're also possibly fi filing pretrial motions to keep out any um, pictures of pubescent children. Um, I think a couple were his nieces. That's, I mean, that's they really, that's unfairly prejudicial, but yeah, it's but also. Pictures of her, like, genitalia. Now, well, they unclear. didn't say unclothed yeah, still, because they would have yeah. just well, that charged be him. That would that be, yeah, you know, you get into an issue of the relevancy of that Exactly. Stuff. So anyway. But the um, hashtags alone. I mean, you know, you say these are his, his encrypted hard drives. This is what we he was Googling. We couldn't, we couldn't get into them. But, you know, this is what an encrypted, you know, this is what these hashtag values mean based, because it's the same pornography. All these, um, you know, uh, child pornography defendants, they're very derivative. Like they have a lot of the same stuff. And they have a catalog, law enforcement does, you know, of, of if you access, you know, they can match it. Um, but what I want you to consider is that the foregone uh, conclusion uh, doctrine is a slippery slope. Yeah, I think that's a dangerous rule. Tell us where the body's buried. Just give us we the know. shovel and point us we, to it. You know, we have you on film. You know, we, we, we know that we saw you leaving the house with a shovel. Um, we, it's a foregone conclusion that he killed the, the guy, Your Honor. Um, we just want to know where the body's buried. How's that different? And then when they dig up the body, they find the guy's DNA on it, you know, or they look for cameras that, that, that show him driving. Or there. more simply, they say, he drove us to the site and pointed us where the body was buried. Only someone who killed the person and buried the person would know where the body's buried. Therefore... You know, his tell own us, actions showed us that he, he did it. Tell us where the drugs are hidden. It's a foregone conclusion, Your Honor, that, you know, he sold uh, uh, mandatory minimum amounts of, of drugs. We just don't know where he hit them. I, I just think it's a slippery slope. And, and this is what happens when you try to erode the Fifth Amendment. You know, nobody likes child pornography defendants, right? Right. Um, it's, a, it's a nasty offense, but it's an example of bad cases Bad, hard cases, bad law, because you're trying to get at these guys um, when the Fifth Amendment is an impediment. But the Fifth Amendment's there for a reason. It's not a loophole. 
And it's not until you're sitting in the hot seat, listener, that, and I'm not saying you're <laughs> Here's Pete's be lecture. In there for child pornography, um, but not until you're in that hot seat do you appreciate your constitutional rights. All right, so we need, we need to do an outro. And I think this one was too long to do a bit. Were you saying I was long-winded? No, you weren't long-winded, but there was a lot of substance to this one. Unless you want to tell the listeners where you're going this weekend, break it up a little bit. Is that an outro? No, this is before the outro. This is just breaking up the episode. Personifying you. I'm flying. I don't like flying. Why not? I just don't. I think it's hereditary. My father hated flying. The psychiatrist's father? Oh, man. He used to, he was a psychiatrist. I was just telling somebody last night, but he was a uh, frustrated truck driver because he would drive to Florida every year. We had relatives down there, still do. And he would not like to stop. He installed a CB radio. Do you know what a CB radio is? No. Yeah. He installed a CB radio. Well, could you car. tell me what it is? It's like what truckers would you They still do, I imagine. You know, they well, you have can like tell where CB. police are? No, no, no. It's no, no, called no. Waze. They communicate on these like CB radios. Who do they, they, they communicate with? With other truckers. So who would your dad communicate with? Truckers. Why? Because he was a frustrated trucker. Was he driving a truck? No. I don't get it. The mentality. He just wanted to drive. He wanted to drive straight through. He wanted to hear what the other truckers were up to. He, I mean, he was a frustrated. He was an interesting guy. Was he guy. chewing tobacco as he was doing it? He, he smoked pipes because he was a psychiatrist. Mm. He was very complex. But um, <laughs> he did not like to fly. And I remember the one time that we did fly, um, he, he booked, uh, and he wasn't cheap, and he had money. But he, he booked the most uncomfortable flight. I think it was called People's Express, which was like the original, like, you know, cut rate airline. Where Frontier. It's, amaz- it's amazing that we made it. The most uncomfortable seats, you know, that back then you got food and everything. They might have given you like peanuts. And I think he did it intentionally to make it as unpleasant an experience for my mom and my sister and me so that we would realize that it was better to drive. But, yeah, we're going to Florida. We're flying, um, and it's for a baseball tournament. So um, not me, uh, for my kid. Uh, but it'll be fun. Okay. Well, have fun. Let's do an outro. What is an outro? So I think an outro, uh, I think it's just saying thank you for listening to Subject to Cross. I'm Caroline. That's Pete. Our music was created and produced by friend of the pod, Nick Harshaw, and we'll see you next time. But you led with that. That's the same I as know, the I know, but I just wanted to make sure. No, well, the intro would be welcome back to Subject to Cross. But you already gave Nick credit. I know, but I think music. we need to give Nick credit every episode. I think we need to episode. work on your outro, frankly. I think we need to work on your attitude. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, signing off. I'm not allowed to say goodbye You anymore. can say goodbye. 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 goodbye.